0: Greetings. I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 167, and today's guest is Lily Lyman, partner at Underscore VC. One might say Lily was destined to be a venture capitalist. She started out angel investing when she was just 23 years old. Then the role became a little bit more formal when she joined the investment committee at Yard Ventures, Harvard's alumni angel group. As a partner at Underscore, she is focused on making seed and Series A investments in Boston startups. The firm is focused on building a community-driven model through its various initiatives like Underscore Core, which is a community of several hundred proven entrepreneurs, business builders, and domain experts that portfolio companies get to leverage to help drive their own success. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the current entrepreneurial vibe at Harvard and HBS. Lily's experience after Harvard at Endeavor, where she spent two years working with entrepreneurs in Chile, her position at Facebook, where she was part of a global growth and connectivity team that brought on 100 million new users in three years, all the details on Underscore, including the firm's model and what makes the firm so unique, a discussion around why it might be a good idea for Boston companies to brag about success, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, Did you know that every Monday morning, we send out two weekly digest emails? There's one for Boston, and there's one for New York. It is your weekly email to stay connected to all the must-know information from each local tech scene. It includes information on companies, jobs, events, deals, and more. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email and look for the weekly tech buzz to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Lily. Lily, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to, to take the time this morning.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk. Uh, congratulations on your recent promotion to a uh, partner at Underscore, which is amazing, so congrats on that.
1: Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. I feel, uh, I feel very lucky to be part of this team and, and this Boston community, and I've felt very supported, so, so thanks, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna talk a lot about how you know, your career path evolved into venture capital and how you worked your way into a partner role. Uh, but before that, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about your background too. And, and you know, you're a Harvard uh, graduate. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the vibe of what's going on in the entrepreneurialship circles of Harvard and Harvard Business School. I noticed recently you were on a panel talking about seed investing at HBS. So what's what's the vibe on campus these days across both schools?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's invigorating. I think there's a ton of energy around entrepreneurship, around startups across campus um, at Harvard. And, you know, we spent a lot of time across all the universities in Boston, particularly Harvard, MIT, Northeastern. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that makes Boston particularly unique and one of the reasons why we're so excited about it. Uh, you know, I don't want to say how many years ago I graduated from Harvard, but the the transformation on campus has been incredible. It wasn't as much of a topic when I was there. And I think there's been some incredible efforts. Um, by people like Jody Goldstein and, you know, got the iLab up and going and made it what it was. And so I think some of that cross-campus pollination has been incredible. Uh, You know, if you look at, I think Harvard's really innovating. I think if you look at the MSNBA program, which folks like Tom Eisenman are leading, um, are doing a lot for the ecosystem. I think the new engineering campus is going to be great for the ecosystem. So there's a very, uh, there's a strong, um, there's a strong effort. And I think you see it starting to play out. And, you know, if you look at the companies coming out of there. You know, there's great companies there's billion dollar companies coming out you know every year every other year over time um and so we're we couldn't be more excited about what's going on and i think uh, i think it'll just continue
0: yeah, and as you mentioned like like with you know the efforts like like a jody goldstein made and several others like katie ray and so many other people but it's just it was good to finally see i don't know if it was like 10 years ago i'd have to like look at history of the boston tech scene but all of a sudden you felt like the great academic minds that were building companies. Finally the the investors took notice and was like, We need to be doing more and inter- mm-hmm. interfacing with these students and hopefully they can build a company in Boston and which is what you know you're doing.
1: Exactly. That's a that's a huge reason why we're so excited about Boston. Because if you look at you know I could go on about this topic forever, but um, if you look at the combination of the talent that's coming out of the universities, both from the professors and also from the students, if you look at the type of technology that's being developed, um, it's really the type of technology that's driving our driving our current wave of innovation. You know, ten years ago it was Internet two um, but now it's things like AI. It's things like quantum computing and computer vision. You know, that's slightly deeper tech, and that's being developed on the labs uh, on campus here in Boston. And so I think the combination of talent, and now you do have more investors um, paying attention, there's more different types of capital with things like Sandbox, um, or the Engine, who's funding this deep tech, long, you know, tough tech. Uh, and then investors like us, who are comfortable going really early stage um, in and pillar. and there's, you know, there's other folks around the ecosystem who are paying attention. And I think it's, you know, if you get all the right components together you can um you know we can capture that talent and, and that opportunity and our hope is that it stays in boston there have been so many great companies formed out of these universities but then they go elsewhere so if you if you can create the right environment around them though where they can flourish and i think we have that now um they can stay here and then it just further contributes to the ecosystem so we're we're, we're really excited about it it's a big part of what um what's driving some of our investment work
0: yeah. And you just hit on another key element of why it's changed so much that access to early stage capital is so much more vibrant now with what you're doing, Pillar, Founder Collective, Next View Ventures. I mean, so you can get early stage capital to get things going and hopefully raise your A from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's probably the reason why we were founded. I mean, I think, you know, venture sort of started in Boston back in the 80s and then sort of went west and there was a bit of a gap. And I think, you know, when Underscore got started about four years ago plus, um, you know, we, we saw a little bit of a gap, particularly in the seed to Series A space, um, from a capital environment in Boston, Boston was underbanked, um, which was pretty different than my experience out West. And, uh, and so we saw a huge opportunity. I think you're seeing other people pop up and, um, and I think it's creating sort of a more flourishing ecosystem so that we can capture those opportunities and and make them successful.
0: Let's talk about your background. So growing up, I always like to rewind the clock way back. Mm -hmm. So uh, where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up in New York City, uh, but both of my parents are from Boston, or the Boston area. So grandparents, aunts, uncles, big family, um, everybody's here. But uh, I myself grew up in New York City.
0: And what did your parents do for work?
1: So my dad was in finance, and my mom was in the museum world. Um, so she was in the arts. Yeah. Got
0: it. And like, what were you like as a, as a child? Like something I, I saw out there in my travels... Um, when, when you were in high school, you, you, you wanted to be a, a National Geographic photographer.
1: I did, yes. So I, uh, I grew up in a big family. I'm number two out of four, three girls and a boy. Um, I, so I think I have a lot of middle child syndrome, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> um, so growing up, I, you know, I think I, I like to explore. I like to push boundaries, I like to try new things. Um, I was a really big tomboy um i was very into sports uh i I, lacrosse
0: right you played lacrosse at harvard right
1: i did yeah i played lacrosse in college and and growing up i was a gymnast it was my childhood dream to be an olympic gymnast um but i also got really excited about exploring and and traveling and you know i've been lucky that in the course of my career i've traveled all over the world but i think you know (laughs) that national geographic i love photography and i love traveling and adventure so that was a little bit of of what i was like as a kid sort of pushing pushing boundaries and trying to explore
0: <laughs> so like obviously you got good grades but like getting into harvard is obviously such such a, an accomplishment in its own right uh so, so how does that happen how do you get accepted
1: Oh God, luck! <laughs> I feel like I don't know. Like everybody who goes to Harvard, has you know, you have some deep level of imposter syndrome. Um, I don't know. I you know I tried to I tried to work hard in school, and you know, tried to juggle a lot of different things between grades and you know, academics and sports and other types of stuff. So I felt I felt super lucky um I spent most of my time there being like do I belong here? Um and I think a lot of kids who go there feel that way. But I felt very lucky. It was a great school, really great programs, good people. Um you know, I love being here in Boston, so
0: I felt very fortunate. So what would you what would you do after graduating?
1: After graduating, I got a fellowship um through Princeton actually to go work for an organization called Endeavor in South America. I knew I wanted to live abroad. I was interested in this concept of entrepreneurship, and so um, I went to go work with Endeavor, which is an amazing organization. I worked with high-growth companies, high-impact entrepreneurs all over the world, um, so I moved down to Santiago, Chile, and actually ended up in Patagonia, Chile, um, where I was supposed to stay for a year. stayed for two years, um, but I loved it because I was working with entrepreneurs who were building all different types of companies, tech companies, agriculture, shipping, you, know, you name it. And it was kind of my first introduction to what is this world of entrepreneurship? What does it mean to build a business? What does it mean to do this zero to one phase? Um, and then also, what does it mean to support entrepreneurs and work with entrepreneurs? Um, Endeavor has this incredible network of experts, people like Reed Hoffman, uh, who get involved and support their founders. And so, my my takeaway of that experience was kind of, oh, I either want to go be a founder or go be somebody who can help founders as they're as they're driving their journey. So, um, I actually think that you know that was one of the most pivotal moments sort of post-school that I think has, has put me on the
0: path that I'm on now. And so I wasn't familiar with Endeavor, but ironically, uh, just a short time ago, one of my guests was uh, Brian Chen, who's the founder of Room.
1: Okay.
0: Is the, the phone booths that you see in every office now, the modular phone booths, which oh, yeah. he's absolutely killing it.
1: Oh, amazing.
0: And so he was a guest on my podcast. He was talking about Endeavor and I'm like, wow, what a fascinating so uh, cool. group. So I, I, lo- I looked him up before we talked to see if you guys overlap, but it looks like you guys just missed each other. So yeah. Does it have like a really robust alumni network of people that started their career there?
1: Yes, it has an incredible group of alumni. Um I mean it has an incredible group of entrepreneurs. I think they're in twenty plus company countries now. So there's hundreds of Endeavor entrepreneurs. Um And then, you know, for folks who actually worked at Endeavor, there's a a lot of us, and it's a great spot for sort of people early in their career because you get to learn so much. And um, I'm still friends with a lot of my Endeavor folks, and some of them have gone on to be investors. Um, A lot are very involved in the Kauffman program. Some have gone on to start their own companies, go work at tech companies. I mean, the group is really interesting, but it's all these people who are – Entrepreneurial by nature, sort of globally minded by nature, um, care about the world. It's kind of this cool blend uh, of people. So it's it's cool to hear you 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 checked it out. It's um it's a great organization.
0: Yeah, very meaningful too in terms of the uh, the type of exposure you get, but also what you're giving to uh, you know entrepreneurs in other countries.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So so what did you do after that?
1: So after that, so my takeaway of sort of working with all these entrepreneurs and all these um, investors and experts was I got to go learn business. And so the yeah. 24 year old, I said, let me go do consulting. I'll learn something there. Um, and so I moved back to New York, joined a consulting firm called Dalberg that did man- management consulting, um, both for corporates and, and some impact work. Um, did that for two years, learned a ton. Glad I did it. I think, you know, consulting can teach you how to you know, be a professional grown up and, and and structure work and analyze and think about tough business problems and how to solve them. So did that for two years, uh, but quickly sort of realized it was not what I wanted to do long term. I, I felt like you didn't get enough skin in the game um, in terms of really having an impact. And so that's what prompted me to apply to business school, and and Stanford was my dream because um, I wanted to get into the entrepreneurship ecosystem and tech ecosystem, and we're better to do that than than out west. Although I gotta say, plugging for the East Coast schools are getting better at it, but at the time Stanford was really the the hub of it. So that's kind of what led me out west.
0: Yeah. So what was that experience like? So you know, being at the hub of it, right? So so what was it? What was it like?
1: Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I think um, Stanford in itself, the GSB does an incredible job. Uh, You know, it's a smaller class. A lot of people come from the tech and venture world, but all different backgrounds. Um, The people are amazing, and it's a group of people that I will treasure forever as personal friends, but also professionally have been hugely helpful because they all go off to do very interesting things. Um, But, you know, the the types of speakers you get, the case studies you read about um, are just incredible. Um, you know, some of my classes, I had, you know, Eric Schmidt coming in and talking about what's going on at Google. And we had the founders of Twitter with the investors of Twitter talking about the early days. Um, you know, it's just the the access is amazing. Um, and then, yeah. And so that actually sort of was where I landed. My first internship at Facebook was kind of through the Stanford world. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up there longer term. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of energy there. Things are very you get a lot of exposure uh, in a way that I thought was exciting and interesting and, and different than what I had done. And everybody's kind of entrepreneurial or has their finger in something entrepreneurial. So it's, you know, it's has exciting because it's changed a lot already, I think, over the last six years since I, uh, since I graduated. But um, yeah, it's a very exciting place to be. And I love I love the GSB.
0: And, and you you've co-founded a company while you were there, right?
1: I did, yeah, so actually, through a class on campus, um, which is part of the reason why I think I have so much uh, affinity for student entrepreneurs and 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 professors and people founding things on campus uh, through a class at Stanford at the design school, actually, I sort of fell into this opportunity with some a couple engineers that we teamed up with. it is a business in the uh, consumer ag tech space um, and you know we got a little bit of traction ended up just kind of going for it and we did all the pitch competitions on campus and won a whole bunch of money and and raised a little bit of money and, uh, so I did it for about a year after school as well with my co-founder and, um, it was a great experience from doing the zero to one phase. It's super hard.
0: <laughs> well, what was the idea? What were you actually doing?
1: We were actually, we were in the coffee space. So we we're taking, we met some folks who developed a technology to extract, um, part of a coffee plant that hadn't been used before. And so we were building products, you know, drinks, bars, sort of CPG type products using this, um, using this material. So different world than I'm in now. One of my learnings was, um founder market fit uh which is something i don't think people always talk about but it was a very powerful learning for me i'm a technologist i miss b2b software uh, the cpg world was not was not for me um, but we you know we've learned a ton and and you know realized that that you know something in economics eventually weren't going to work so we ended up selling off part of the company and and then i went back to facebook so
0: Uh, That's good advice. Founder product fit. I don't think I've ever heard it phrased that way. uh,
1: Founder market fit. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Founder market fit. Yes. Like, which, I mean, that's, that's so key. If you're not passionate about what you're building and spending so much of your time building it, like why would you do it?
1: Exactly. And I think a lot of people, I think, you know, one of the things you see now in particular on campus, just to name it, I think you see a lot of entrepreneurs, Um, entrepreneurship is cool and people want to try something and being on you know in school is a very safe place to try something which is great you know people should try stuff but you you gotta sort of quickly figure out well why am I doing this is this really the problem I want to solve is this what I want to spend seven to ten years of my life on this phase of my career I mean the bar's high for that opportunity cost and so you know as an investor that's something we look at for people who are starting companies on campus you know how serious are they about this um, and for me, you know, I said, I didn't want to spend 10 years in the CPG world. That's not what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, it was a good, it was a good lesson and, uh, yeah, I, I people should name it more often and, and, and talk about it.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, you know, when you're around a bunch of well, in today's society, entrepreneurship is something that's cherished and that's good. Uh, it gets a lot of visibility and you see these founders building these great companies. So I think you do get a little caught up in it that you're like, I need to come up with an idea, especially if you're at in Stanford an HBS and you kind of, you're searching for an idea desperately, you know, trying to find a problem to solve versus having the problem find you exactly. and being passionate to solve it. So
1: Yeah. And I think some of the best advice we got given at school was, you know, go, go work in the industry you think you might be interested in, because if you live and breathe it, then you really understand the problems and to your point, then you, are going after a problem versus going after uh, an idea or the idea of starting a business. And if you're obsessed with that problem, you know, the best founders we see are obsessed with the problem they're solving. They couldn't do anything else. I always ask that, to founders, that if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? And you know, the best ones say, I'd be doing this. I, I'm obsessed. I can't, you know, I think about it all the time and I need to solve this problem. Um, and so I'm a big believer in that, um, you know, go, go get that experience or really be driven by a problem versus, you know, an idea searching for a problem to solve.
0: So what what, um, what brought you to Facebook after graduating?
1: Yeah, so I had a great opportunity. Um, my manager from my uh, internship called me up and said we me this great role, will you come, come join us? And it was a cool moment because it was, the Facebook was building out a new um, team and a new product that was trying to drive growth largely in new markets um, and largely in emerging markets. So sort of in low connectivity environments and things like that. So we were kind of started as a small team. We quickly grew quite quickly. Uh, or quickly grew to a bigger team, but um, it was kind of like working on a startup within Facebook where we, you know, our mission was to get more people on the platform across Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, and so I was in this role. It was basically product strategy. It sat between the product teams and what I call our go-to-market teams. And trying to figure out what is the right product for these environments, how do we launch them, how do we grow them, how do we get more people using them, how should this inform our product roadmap? Um, so it's a very cool opportunity because we were growing super fast, and we brought on 100 million new people onto the platform in three years. It was great wow. Yeah, it's big.
0: <laughs> so how does that happen? Like, are you so are you building relationships with the operators over there? And like, like you said, there's low co- connectivity, so you got to figure out the tech side to gain access to these apps.
1: Yeah, so it was a very um, product and engineering challenging uh, product to be working on. And essentially what we're doing was building uh, partnerships with telecom operators all over the world. So people like Telefonica and Viva and uh, Telenor and I don't know, um, companies like that. And basically we were doing integrations with them to help create access in low connectivity environments. So we actually fundamentally altered the, the Facebook product so that it could work in different environments. Um and and sort of changed the amount of content that was on it and things like that. So it was fun. It was technically challenging. It was product challenging. And then it was all about growth. So it was sort of a ton about growth marketing and how do you get people more engaged and, and um, you know, how do you get people to stick and things like that. So it was, um, it was a very dynamic
0: role at school. Were you interfacing with any of the people out of, out of Cambridge? I just, I know there was some team, I can't, Facebook's so large, so lots of people working on so many different things. Yeah. I I thought there was like a team within the Cambridge office that was actually working on this problem.
1: There was, yeah. So towards the end of my time, there was a team here um, working on a a product called Express Wi-Fi, which was around how do you create kind of Wi-Fi in a box? Right. Um, And then also a lot of the machine learning folks in general are in Cambridge. Facebook has a huge hub of that here. Again, I think that speaks to the talent in Boston. Um, But yeah, some some of the engineers on some of these connectivity projects were based here in Cambridge.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so what was that like that experience? You know, Facebook is a just, you know, such a big tech juggernaut that is constantly innovating and has so many brands of apps that we use every day. So yeah. what was that experience like? What, what, what do you think you gained from that?
1: You know, I think it was a hugely valuable experience for me. Um, you know, it was already big when I joined and shame on me for not joining right after undergrad, but, um, you know, it was still growing very quickly. So to see that phase of growth of a company, you know, we went from 5,000 to 20,000 before I left or 3,000 or 20,000, just a span of a few years. I learned a ton about, um, you know, how do you, you know, world-class ways, you know, it's sort of the best in, in class, I'd say, in terms of how do you build products, ship products, manage it, um, so building product roadmaps and working across product and engineering teams. I learned a ton about building organizations. Our team grew from about 25 people to about 100 people in a couple of years. Um, and you know i just i I learned a lot about b2b sales enterprise sales working with telcos was really hard and it's actually sort of my first exposure to this concept of digital transformation and what does that mean for some of these industries that are trying to catch up um, which actually has informed some of my investment work here at underscore so um you know i learned a ton about i think you know building and shipping great products about how do you drive growth about how do you build teams how do you manage people and so I think, you know, as I reflect on how it's impacted my work here at Underscore, I think, you know, I, I've, I've done some of the work that a lot of these founders are going through. And so I understand, I think I can have some empathy for it. Obviously, every case is different. Um, but then I also, I appreciate kind of the blend of the B2C and the B2B side of the world that I got at Facebook. as was kind of a unique opportunity. And I feel like I apply that in some of my investment work um, and how I work with some of my portfolio companies. So you know, people have lots of opinions about Facebook and all this stuff. People say, oh, you left right at the right time. But, um, you know, I'm still bullish on the company. I'm bullish on the leadership. I think that it was a great place to learn and um, they'll continue to innovate and do, do interesting things.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So you came back east and what, uh, how, did, how did you get into the world of investing?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, my husband and I are both East Coast natives, as I said. So we, we knew that we wanted to be here long-term. Um, we were excited about the opportunities in Boston and, and to be closer to family. In um, investing, I've been an in inventor, I guess, since my Endeavor days and uh, had actually started angel investing a tiny amount.
0: So, so how, how did you get into angel investing? Like, is that a West Coast thing that you kind of picked up on? Because that's been a complaint in, in the Boston area where there's not enough angel investors. It's come a long way. Yeah, a lot more angel investors now than there previous was. Things like AngelList has definitely helped. But at a young age, you know, people think you need to have an exit before you can start becoming an angel investor. Yet that's not always the case.
1: No, I think it's definitely not the case. I mean, I started when I was probably twenty three. I think I made my first angel investment. It was oh, not money. I had. I had no money. Um, well, and
0: that's the other key too. Like it doesn't have to be no. ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars. You could start off with. I mean, granted, three thousand dollars is a lot of money, but you can get started
1: you can you can get started you can find a way to get in there and for me it was just a way to sort of learn and to stay connected to this ecosystem so I think I first got exposure to it honestly through my endeavor days just seeing these entrepreneurs and watching these investors and these you know power you know experienced operators put put money into businesses so I think um, that's what kind of tipped me off to it so I you know I've been doing it sort of throughout my 20s again tiny checks but it was just a great way to stay involved, to stay exposed, to have an excuse to meet entrepreneurs and understand what was going on. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of it. I think it's a great way if you are looking to jump into venture because it it helps you learn what it's like. You put some skin in the game. Um, But also you sort of start to learn your judgment. What do I look for? What do I care about? What do I think makes a great investment? And so I I was doing that informally. um, And then I got involved with Yard Ventures, which is Harvard's uh, alumni angel group. And so when they were setting up their first fund, they actually asked me to join their investment committee. Um, This was back in 2015, maybe. Um, And so that was, you know, a way where I got to do it a little bit more formally, which I love because I could learn from, you know, my peers on the investment committee and got exposure to some really interesting investments um, like Striver and Squirrel and some that have had some really good outcomes. So. Um, So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with investing. Um, And then, you know, actually to to your point, I do think Boston needs more of it. I think more of it goes on than we think. Um, We're not as loud about it as the West Coast. Uh, But I think, you know, I, I do think it goes on, but I do think we need more of it. I think it's an important ingredient to the entrepreneurial ecosystem and you see it all over the place in the West Coast. And, you know, there's more exits happening now. We've had some really big exits in the past 18 months in Boston. So I think hopefully we'll continue to see more of it. But to your point, you don't need gazillions to, to do it, um, you know, just to get your foot in the door. And something that we're trying to cultivate at Underscore, which is how do we help encourage the next generation of investors and people who are operating or building their own companies, but maybe want to dabble in it and learn about it? Um, you know, how can we help enable that? So that's something that that we're thinking about. But uh, yeah, as my husband and I were looking to move east, um, I got introduced to Underscore luckily through a good friend uh, in New York who's in the venture world, and she connected me with Underscore. And um, you know, we, I'd say we dated for a while <laughs> because we were both looking for a long-term fit and, uh, you know, I just found love with the, with what the team was doing, how the firm was being built, um, with the culture we were building the approach. And so ultimately ended up
0: joining in early 2018 officially. Great. So, so let's talk about underscore like what, what, yeah. what makes the, the firm unique?
1: So, you know, the things that got me really excited about it and that still keep me excited about it every day is um, I think that, you know, the number one thing is what we're trying to do in building a community-driven model to venture. So the founding premise of the firm, you know, we, it started with a listening tour. Um, where people actually, we asked entrepreneurs, what do you actually need? You know, what's most helpful to you to help, help you be successful? And, and we all know capital is a commodity. There's so much capital in the world these days. And what founders, you know, sort of unanimously said is I need people. It's all about people. Um, I need the right people at the right time who can help me grow my business. And sometimes that's a critical hire. Sometimes that's an advisor. And sometimes that's just a conversation that can change the way you're thinking. Um, And so with that in mind, the founding premise was, okay, well, how do we bring this community around entrepreneurship in Boston? Um, And so when we designed the firm, we sort of set up infrastructure to enable us to do that. And, And so we started curating this community and it started off as a couple dozen people. And now we're in 800, 900 people or so. As part of this, what we call our core community, and they're curated by domain, by stage, by function. And what we do is um, we engage them alongside of our portfolio companies. So after we make an investment, we actually you know allocate a little bit of our upside to engage the right people around the founders that we backed to help them be successful in the long term. Um, and then you know throughout the year, we're doing lots of things to help sort of cultivate this community. So whether it's dinners or breakfasts or things like that. You know, just this week we had a customer success breakfast and last week we had an insure tech dinner and it's, you know, we're kind of believers that if people connect, good things happen. Um, whether it's, you know, a conversation that changes the way you think, maybe it's a new hire, maybe it's an idea, like people have met their co-founders at some of our events. Um, and so if we can help facilitate and catalyze that, um, you know, we think it's great for the broader ecosystem and ultimately will, will help us make better investments and make our investments be successful. So, this community driven model was something I hadn't seen before. I think you see a lot of uh, firms talk the talk, but I hadn't met that many who actually walked the walk mm-hmm. um, in terms of really bringing great people around their investments. So that's part of what got me really excited about about what we're doing um, and and what I'm continuing to you know be excited to to drive in Boston. I think the other things that that got me excited about underscores that the team's incredible. It's truly people first. Again, I think that's the thing a lot of uh, firms say, but I, I just sort of felt it. And I think again, this this team really walks the walk of that. Um, really, very people oriented. And then the third thing is really around, um, we operate as a team. I think a lot of people think that venture can be a lone wolf business. That's not my style. As you know, I play team sports and I'm a middle child. I like to, to work as a team. And um, that's what I felt here when I was meeting the team. And I think it's something that we really try to cultivate. I think venture is very much an apprenticeship business. you, you, you got to learn from each other. Um, new situations come up all the time. And so, you know, I think we have a unique culture here and truly operating as a team and trying to, to build off of each other. So those are some of the things that, that attracted me to Underscore and that continue to make me really passionate to, to help build this firm in Boston. Um, and and also what I think we can try to do differently and, and, you know, try to change venture for good. There's Venture's an amazing industry. There's so much incredible things about it, but there's a lot of things that, that can be done better. Um, and so we're trying to, to be a piece of that.
0: And what are like the the main specs so the you know current fund you're investing out of the stage you're typically looking for size of investments on average
1: yeah so we are what we call early stage um, which for us means seed in series a primarily we are primarily b2b software focused and we are also um, what we call boston bias so we're really excited about what's going on here and think there's huge opportunity um, so that's, that's where we, we are focused. Um, we're in Robert, we're investing out of our second fund, which is a $140 million fund. Um, and as I said, primarily focused on seed in series A. So these days that's everywhere. Million dollar checks to sort of five, six plus million dollar checks um, in the, in a series A.
0: Now you in particular, like what areas are you particularly focused on? Like what type of technology or type of companies are, are you mainly focused on finding?
1: Yeah. So, you know, building off my background at Facebook a bit, I tend to spend more time at the application layer, what we call kind of the top of the stack and then a little bit sort of on the data side of things. Uh, my partner Richard spends a little bit more time on the bottom of the stack on the infrastructure side of things, and then a lot in sort of the data layer as well. So we're good compliments in that sense. Um, so that's kind of where I spend most of my time from a tech stack perspective. Um, some areas that I'm excited about right now, we're spending, a, you know, we've done a lot in commerce in particular, um, and then, as I said, I've spent some time in what I bucket as digital transformation, um, and specifically within that, I've been spending some time in insure tech. I'm excited about what's going on there, lots of room for innovation, um, a bit on future work um, in terms of what is, what's what's changing the way, how we work, the types of functions, you know, how functions are collaborating, um, and then also sort of how the new types of data that are available are changing the way that organizations are working, and things like that. So those are some areas that I'm excited about. We're doing more and more in fintech, um, you know, I think real estate tech and prop tech, stuff like that. We're seeing a lot of that in Boston as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot to be excited about. But I'd say sort of our main bucket is this B 2 b software focus. Um, and then within that, you know, we sort of specialize and focus on different things.
0: Sure. So which, which portfolio companies are you involved in?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm involved in a in handful that I'm very excited about um, some of the ones that, that we've mentioned before. Uh, Hi Marley is one in the tech space that I'm really excited about. Um, it's a communication platform that's trying to drive the customer experience in insurance. Um, we invested in the Series A alongside True Ventures, and it's a great team, and, and you know, customer experience is a space I'm really interested in. I think it's changing so much, and how does it get managed, and what does it mean for different types of data? Um, and so these guys just, they have a great blend of deep industry expertise, um, and they're building a very product-driven company, so I think there's a huge, huge opportunity ahead of them. So um, yeah, that's one that I've been working with quite closely. Um, another one is called Marlow, um, which actually has come out of the academic ecosystem. It came out of Harvard's MSMBA program, the founders John and Ankit. Uh, fantastic team. We met them last year. They actually uh, were part of our UFIRST program, which is our accelerator for earliest stage companies. And um, we were lucky to back them in their pre seed alongside NextView. And uh, they're tackling the meeting space or trying to bring a new type of collaboration and intelligence to meetings to make meetings more productive. We all have had the experience of very unproductive (laughs) meetings. Um, And so I think they they have a big vision and they're super product oriented and, and they're just fantastic founders. So that's another one I'm very excited about. Um, uh, I'm involved with a company called PopCart, which is in the commerce space. This is actually a B2C place, so it's a little bit different for us, but the founders are amazing. Omri and, and Ryan uh, came out of Indeca, what we call the Indeca Mafia here in Boston.
0: Oh yeah, very strong.
1: Very strong. Yep, we were big fans of the Adeka Mafia. That's where the salsa Fi founders are from, and um, they're they're building something to basically change the way that we shop um, online by building a, an incredible data graph of products and allowing people to shop on a per unit price comparison basis. So um, it's really interesting. It's a really big idea, um, an incredible product. I I'm their target demographic, so I feel very. Uh, <laughs> Attuned to the product and, and the impact but those are just some examples there's a handful of others um, but uh, yeah we're I'm, I'm super excited about what's going on in our portfolio so it's uh, it's been a joy
0: well you you talked about the you first program which i think is another differentiator for underscore so so what, what is that program and like how does a company get involved
1: yeah so uh, you first is our uh, program to it's basically a build program to help some of these companies at the earliest stages um, Uh, have a structured way to feel supported and connect with the community and have access to capital while they're in the very earliest days. So we are in our third year of it and um, you know it's a it's the right fit for anyone who maybe is kind of in that pre-seed early seed stage um, or if you're coming out of an academic environment so if you're a professor or maybe a grad student who's working on an idea but the premise of it is really um, you know how can we help surround these early teams? Um, with access to some capital. We have desk space here in our office downtown in City Hall, Uh, access to mentors from our core community. So last year, we had people like Jeff Barnett, who's CEO at Demandware and Salesforce Cloud, and Matt Bellotti at Drift, and um, John McElhinney at Onshape. Like, we have an incredible sort of network of people who who support these teams. And then we also have content and education, uh, educational content that we call Startup Secrets, which is basically being developed over years, Uh, which are essentially sort of frameworks and key studies of some of the basics of building businesses. You know, you see a lot of pattern recognition in in venture. And so to the extent that we can help people accelerate the building of their business by sharing some of these examples and frameworks, um, hopefully we're trying to be helpful. So the combination of of access to the community, to talent, to um, capital, and to this content is kind of the premise of the program. So we will be running it again this summer. Applications are open. You can check it out on our website. And, uh, it's something we're really excited about. And again, it's, you know, we hope it helps keeps keep great teams in Boston help people get through that really early stage where there's, there's, you know, a lot of risk and lack of structure and, uh, and bring that to the table. So it's a, it's a program we're really proud of.
0: So other than having to say no a lot, which unfortunately that is part of the job as a venture capitalist, what, what else do you think is the hardest part of, of being an investor?
1: Yeah. Saying no is definitely my least favorite part. Um, you know, I think the other challenge of being an investor is is the long feedback loop uh, for for knowing if you're spending your time the right way or if you're making the right decisions. I, I think the thing that's been most interesting to learn in my early years in ventures how you spend your time. Should you spend it with existing portfolio companies trying to make them successful or interviewing the next key hire for them? Should you spend it looking for new companies? Should you spend it for meeting somebody who might be that next critical advisor to a company? Um, if you send it writing content and things like that so there's a lot of different ways to spend your time and um yeah you know, I gotta say I don't think I've ever worked harder uh part of it's because I love it and part of it's just always more to do and there's always something else that you could be doing and so uh, I think that's been the most interesting thing to figure out how to navigate of what is the right balance of how you spend your time and how's that going to play out over years and it's, it's a long-term business so I probably won't know for another five years ten years um but uh, as long as I'm learning on the go and having fun, then I'll figure it out.
0: <laughs> now you've already given some great uh, advice, I think, for others if they're interested in pursuing a career path in venture capital on, you know, how you got there. Um, but once you're in a firm, like what, like what can someone expect? And you know, I've seen some people they go in for, you know, to four years and then they go off and build their own company or they join a portfolio company as an operator or they do something completely different Mm -hmm. yet there's other people that end up working their way into more of a partnership role so so what do you think you know people should be aware of in terms of the actual role in venture
1: Mm -hmm. i mean so advice that i tend to give is uh you know do try to find a way to develop your investment judgment and whether that's angel investing or mentoring or getting involved in helping companies but i think one of the things of people particularly sort of my path of moving from operating to venture, you know, operating experience, you can see sort of the impact and the value that you can have. So the question is really around, okay, do you have investment judgment and do you know how to find interesting uh, investment opportunities and will they have a reason to want to work with you and, and can you pick the ones that you think will be really successful? So finding a way to demonstrate that. Um, and sometimes that can be, yeah, as I said, through angel investing, through advising or developing out of thesis and getting really smart on a space and meeting all the founders in that particular space is another way to do that. I think that's important for sort of getting into venture and making that jump. I think once you're in venture, um, honestly, so much of it is about picking the right team uh, in terms of the career path. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of a firm that does believe in this multi-generational model um, and unfortunately, a lot of venture firms don't. They, don't. they don't plan for it. They don't necessarily sort of have a career track for people who are coming in as a senior associate or principal. So it's something to ask and consider and, and think about as a firm and, and make sure you're joining the right team who will um, also invest the time in you. As I said, it's a, you have to learn from others. Um, it's very much an apprenticeship model. So having the opportunity to do that, to shadow people, to join as a board observer, things like that a huge piece of the business and I think it's important to have access to that so again it's where I'm joining finding the right team that has some of that career path opportunity people ask me a lot I think there's kind of a debate when you're early in your venture career should you spend time just looking for new investment opportunities and, and building your track record or spend more of your time with entrepreneurs in the portfolio and um, I don't know if there's one answer but I certainly think you do need a blend I think you learn so much by working with the portfolio companies. Um, you know, learning how to add value to founders, build that relationship, and also understand what some of their challenges are uh, as they evolve, and that will inform your investment judgment sort of on the sourcing side of the world. So to the extent that you can find a role where you get a bit of a balance of, of both of those things, I ha- think it helps develop the whole, you know, if you oversimplify venture, it's really around finding great new investments, being able to select those great investments, and um, uh, make the investment and you know be chosen to, to to be a part of the investment, and then ultimately building and, and making them successful to an exit. So you know to the extent that you can get exposure to different parts of that um, of those processes it, it, it's helpful
0: as you're as you're developing within a firm who do you th- like what what company do you think is like the most underrated in Boston that's doing really exceptional? it could be social mission oriented or just groundbreaking technology things that's going to change the world most underrated company in boston that's obviously a non-portfolio company it's a great
1: question i was trying to think about this when you asked i mean there's so many great companies um you know, there's one that may you not know, sound sexy, but I actually think it's really interesting is, is a company called Corvus, which is in the insurance space. They're, they're doing cyber insurance. Um, I think that they just they have a strong team. They're going after a big problem and have an interesting approach to do it. So that's one that was sort of a little bit later stage for us. But that's one I think is interesting. Uh, you know, some of the obvious ones that people talk about, toast or HubSpot, so maybe that's not underrated, but I think, you know, I think Toast has a huge opportunity ahead of it. And I love talking, you know, spoken to Kent and Bessemer about it, and he sort of, you know, his his story of the evolution of, of how toast has evolved. Um, but what I love about what they're doing is that they're building a really strong team and a strong culture and um in an industry that people don't think is sexy or interesting or maybe was solved. couldn't be disrupted and they're just they're going after it aggressively and I think that they're showing that they can get results and it's been a really hard you know it's a hard go to market so I uh I continue to get excited about what they're doing when say it's underestimated
0: (laughs) I think people know that they're doing great things but let's let's talk about this other (laughs) philosophy which I love about toast and grant and this is you know we're recording this you know just (laughs) a week after they announced 400 million at nearly a five billion dollar valuation yeah when you see that you're like wow this company is absolutely just going for it right which is great boston needs more long-term swings that hopefully toast is a publicly traded company that's an anchor and they dominate their industry and they're on the track record of doing that yeah what i love about their press release though is they they did a little bragging the 4.9 billion dollar valuation is saying something and i don't think boston doesn't it i applaud that Please. why doesn't why don't boston companies do more of the tooting their own horn
1: It's such a good question, and it's something that actually across the ecosystem, it's something that we've been talking about as investors, as folks with SVB, with some of these companies. I think, um, I do think we have a bit of a marketing problem. Um, You know, one theory is that it's kind of the New England way, which is work hard, keep your head down. You know, is it Protestant work ethic? I don't know, but it's kind of just you know, work hard, deliver results, and then work hard again, um, rather than sort of pounding your chest about it. And part of me admires that. And I think it's, you know, an interesting part of our culture. But I think we're doing ourselves a little bit of a disservice um, in the broader ecosystem in terms of, you know, being, you know, I do think Boston's on everybody's radar. But I think we could do a much better job at highlighting some of these success stories. I mean, I think in the past 18 months, we've had several billion dollar outcomes, and people sort of, talk about it for a day and then move on. Um, Whereas I think out West, you might have a $300 million outcome when you talk about it for three months. Um, So I think, you know, I definitely think we have a marketing problem. I think that's part of it is us telling our own stories. Part of it's getting some of this national recognition and news coverage. I think we need to do a better job at at attracting that interest. Uh, And again, that goes back to telling our stories. And I think, uh, I do think we need to not pound our chest a little bit, but but showcase the great stuff that's happening here. It's pretty incredible. and uh, from an ecosystem perspective, but we kind of just keep going and keep building and then move on to the next one, which is great. It's continuing to produce these, these exits and these, these outcomes but, uh, or evaluations. But I think we, we need to get better about telling the story.
0: And I mean, it, granted, it's, it's evaluation, right? It's not, you know. Yeah. But, and it's not just the vanity metric either that I think is the important part of this conversation. It's, uh, it's going to ha- help them attract amazing talent right so that's you know people are going to get excited like wow toast must be doing something exceptional if they're raising that much money at that type of valuation it's going to get the interest of lots of people not just from boston but they're hiring all over so uh, it's very important and so i think it's good for companies to do that for uh, strategic reasons not just for the tooting your own horn vanity metric so
1: completely you got to put yourself on the on the stage and i think it i think it matters to your point attracting talent um you know, customers validation, you know, the the name recognition matters uh, for a lot of different things. And I think we can do a much better job at that. You know, I think HubSpot and Drift have gotten better at it. I think Salsa is on the path to it. Um, But there's a lot of fantastic companies, you know, Acquia had a billion dollar outcome this year. And, you know, I I think there's there's a lot of value being generated here and,
0: and names that are Deserve sort of There's the so nationals. many that people don't even talk about. There's so many, so many. There's so Like I, walking unicorns in Boston that no one even knows yeah, that. No
1: one a, knows about exactly or like sort of has maybe heard of but doesn't know that much about it So I think if you have ideas of what we should be doing differently, I think your efforts are a big help But um, you know, I think it's certainly something that we want to you know, spend time on and, and help uh, and help the ecosystem do so open to any and all ideas
0: any books or podcast recommendations that you have out there. Of course, you know, not the Venture Fizz podcast, because we know everyone listens to that already. Of but, anyway, and they, they don't have to be business. They could be, but, uh, they could be other just for fun.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, am a big fan of Venture Fizz. I love what you're, what you're doing. Um, you know, I recently read Shoe Dog, which I love. I highly recommend if people haven't. It's a oh,
0: such yeah. a great book. So
1: good. so good. Um, he was our graduation speaker at Stanford. He's amazing, but it's just a great story of, entrepreneurship in a different time. Um, and also I think it just portrays the highs and the lows and the personal stories of an incredible, how incredible companies get built and it's hard and scary. And I just think it's very real and very raw. And, and he's just, you know, he's an incredible storyteller. So recommend that, uh, right now I'm reading never split the difference, which is interesting. It's a book on negotiations, but it's by, um, the guy at the FBI who is head of hostage negotiations. Um, anyway, so it's a business book, but, but, cool and interesting and, and I'm finding it helpful. So those are kind of on the book side.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. I'll have to check that out. Split the difference. I haven't read that one yet, mm-hmm. but if, if, if anyone's listening that has not read shoe dog yet, absolute must. I mean, that whole story of Nike, you know, because you just see Nike as a global brand and, you know, just growing up, you know, it was Michael Jordan. It was just, you know, then yeah. Tiger Woods and it just was an iconic brand. Yet you don't understand what this book is about. It's got nothing. to Like the last chapter is about that global brand recognition.
1: the
0: The grit that Phil Knight had to go through to keep that company alive. It was just phenomenal.
1: Amazing, and in a time that was pre-venture and and not, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a hot, a hot tech company, and just yeah, the grit is incredible, the personal relationships, and how they drove it, and it's it's a very cool story.
0: Yeah. So, what do you like to do outside of work for, for fun?
1: Um, so I, I'm a mom, so I like to hang out with my toddler and my husband and my dog. Um, I like to be outside, as I said, I like sports, like skiing and hiking and sailing in the summer and, uh, and, and hanging out with some of the great people in Boston. So that's kind of what I have time for these days.
0: <laughs> well, Lily, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and all the you know great stuff you're doing at Underscore and of course all the great advice. So if there's an entrepreneur trying to get on your radar, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, well, feel free to email me. My email's on the website um, and would love to meet anybody who's interested in in talking and building something interesting in Boston or wants to collaborate. So feel free to shoot me an email and, and I would love to connect.
0: Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFiz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.